What is going on, everyone? My name is Raymond Summerlin. I am joining you here on the Sharp Angles podcast, as I do pretty much every Thursday with my good friend, Lord Reeves himself, Zachary Morris, Mr. <laughs> Rich Rebar. How are you doing, my friend? Oh, man, I'm doing real good. You know, I, I went to a, a new pizza place in downtown Cleveland, and when you get your tickets like for your your receipt and they bring the stuff to your table, yep. it's all like 90s themed and they have like different, you know, characters and themed. And I, I got the Zach Morris one. They gave it to me. And it was just, wow. they just knew. They just knew what it, what, what it was. Was it a fan, a long time, a long time <laughs> Twitter follower? Or was it just, was it just destiny? Was it just the law of surprise following you? Like what, what, uh, that's a Witcher <laughs> reference. We're getting really dirty here at the top. Um, like, was it destiny? Was it destiny following you there? Which one was it? Yeah, yeah, no, I think it was just it was just blind luck and in circumstance. You know, I've only had like I think I think maybe four times in my life someone's come up to me and said like, "Are are you Rich Rebar?" Like, fans, our reach uh, to the to the public community is not very strong. So I've gotten it. I, I've got it one time, um, and uh, and I'm a relatively distinctly distinct looking person. Although that's not any true. That's not true anymore because everybody has beards now, and all fat white guys with beards look exactly the same. And so uh, I essentially. I get I get noticed as Kevin Owens, the the wrestler, oh, far nice. more than I get noticed, far more than I get noticed uh, as myself. But yeah, no, it's it's always a fun out there. I will say, for a long time, we were just Twitter um, acquaintances, and I did not know at all what you looked like. I had no idea. I kind of thought maybe you looked a little bit like Zach Morris. Like I thought that's what it that, that's what you were doing. But no, it was just uh, it was. Just I get that, that all the time when I meet people at like the FSGAs and the Expo and stuff. Uh, now I've been on so many like podcasts and stuff, people know now. But I used to get it all the time. I'm so disappointed you're not Zach Morris or Mark Paul Gosling. <laughs> like yeah, me too. Pretty disappointed in that as well. <laughs> yeah, no, that would be that'd be ideal for me. <laughs> be ideal for me as well. All right, so we're here today to talk about another one of Rich's outstanding research series. He's been doing them over at sharpfootballanalysis.com. Make sure you go and check those out. This week, he's really looking at trends from the 2022 season going all the way back to 2010, specifically scoring trends, looking at touchdowns, where those touchdowns came from, who was good at scoring them, who went over their expected totals, who went under their expected totals. All of that is obviously very important from a fantasy perspective, which is what you know, Rich and I very often focus on. But it's also important from just a, you know, quote unquote, real football guys with a Z perspective as well. And so we're going to hit on a lot of that stuff um, as we go through the podcast. I do want to mention here at the top, though, most of those articles, there are four of those articles this week, three of them are in the Sharp Football Draft Kit. So you have to purchase the Sharp Football Draft Kit to get them. One of them, however, is free. And that is the Red Zone article that was published on Thursday. So go and read that. See how great that is. And uh, then you'll want to check out the other three available in the draft kit. Another reason to check out the draft kit is because we are actually starting a giveaway. We're calling it Christmas in July. On the 25th of July, we are going to give away 30 premium NFL packages, sharp football analysis NFL packages. Those packages are collectively worth over $10,000. All you have to do to get entered into this giveaway, you purchase Warren Sharp's 2023 preview book. You purchase the Sharp Football Draft Kit. If you already own both of those, congratulations, you're already entered. If you've purchased both of them, you get two entries into the contest. You're buying the best football content. You're getting entered to win the best football content. It is a win-win. It is a no-brainer. 
I am very excited about this giveaway. I I will be honest with you though, Rich. Uh, when it was first pitch uh, as Christmas in July, I was confused as to why. Like I read July twenty fifth, and it just didn't click in my brain yeah. <laughs> as to why <laughs> as to why we would call it that. Because it, as it turns out, uh, not very smart. But someone who is very smart. That's Rich. And we're going to talk a little bit about your series here. You got it started out with looking at kind of per drive production, which I think is a very interesting way to look at the NFL. As I've been going through my team preview series, also available in the Fantasy Football Draft Kit, I've been looking at um, teams kind of EPA per play. I've, I've kind of, you know, I've normalized it a little bit and call it EPA plus somebody I've forgotten their name. I apologize how I have them cited. However, in the article that does that. And then I also look at points for drive and points for drive has been a way I've kind of thought about offense for a long time. And when you look at both of those numbers, you see that they're very similar. They are very closely related. If you were good on a points for drive basis, you were generally good on EPA per basis. And so I think looking at per drive stats, and I know you're one of the first people I saw do that is a really interesting way to look at the league. So before we even, I guess, dive into these, what is it about kind of the per drive stats? Why do you think that those are like important ways to kind of view how good an offense is? Yeah, I mean, just, just added context, right? You know, I, I've labeled myself the connoisseur of context and you just kind of layer in more uh, of that context. You know, you get more consistency in times when you're looking at like from a top down stance of like, all right, this is how good a team is when they get the football, you know, on a regular basis. Uh, and then, you know, I'll the number of drives are finite in an NFL game too, right? Like, you know, you are, if you're only going to get eight possessions in a game, you know, how good are you with them? If you're only getting nine, you know, how good are you with them? And then if you're really bad, you're probably creating more possessions because you suck and you're giving the football away. Uh, and, you know, you're getting more plays and stuff like that. You know, efficiency breeds value and, and, and decreases it as well. So, like, uh, all those things have a marriage. But I've always just loved it because of the, like I said, just the, the added context to the equation. And so when you're looking at those per drive stats from 2022, we've talked we talked last week about how offense has took a step back last year. It wasn't unexpected coming out of the the especially the pandemic year, but even in 2021, we thought we would see some regression. It was probably more than we expected as defenses have started to adjust. We talked about all of that on last week's show. Go into the podcast feed and check that out if you want to hear more about kind of what what happened to offenses in 20 22 but on a per drive basis we're, we're seeing a lot of the same things right yeah absolutely i mean you look at it last year i mean teams scored on just 37.9 percent of their drives last year and I, i'm taking all drives out that end in kneel downs like drives where the intent was to score uh so i do remove all the kneel down drives uh something like before like the end of a half and stuff like that uh and then they scored a touchdown, just 21.9%. Those are the lowest rates since 2017, which is obviously like 2017 is like the benchmark for like historically like low points of like modern football of uh, just being like a nightmare season. It was also the first year since 2015. We didn't have any team in the league score on half of their drives, 50% of their drives. Uh, we had a nice little streak of that going of offensive efficiency, even as good as like the Chiefs were and the Eagles were last year. They still didn't even score on over half of their drives and didn't end in kneel downs. So there was some good that we'll talk about uh, throughout the course of this show and looking at some of the teams last year. But from a top-down stance, like it followed the, the league-wide trends. It's also funny that like, you know, 
you always hear regression to the mean and, and yeah, the, the people are tired of hearing about it, you know, and the regression talk about fantasy football, but like regression, isn't supposed to work like the way it like often does in football. Like, you know, it's supposed to just like, you're supposed to get closer to the mean, right? Like and improve. Like sometimes these, like you just get hit with like a hammer, right? Uh, and just like it flips in the complete other direction. Uh, you know, you see that all the time with like touchdown rates or something like that, where a guy will have a low touchdown rate and then he'll just like have like an 8% touchdown rate the next year. And you're like, well, that's not how it's regression supposed to work, but it happens so often in football. It's so weird. Yeah, no, it also happens in craps, as I can tell you uh, from my weekend experience. <laughs> but uh, that that's a story. That's a story for another day. Um, but yeah, no, I think that, that what you're talking about is interesting. I also think that those numbers are interesting, like thinking about specifically what we were talking about last week and the defense's role and kind of how they were changing to to slow down these offenses by limiting big plays. Limiting big plays is forcing an offense to put together more positive plays in order to get into the red zone, in order to get a field goal, in order to get a touchdown. And by doing that, you are going to almost, I think, necessarily see per drive success rates go down. Because we know, and you've done great research on this, when you have a big play in a in a drive, that drive is very likely to score you points, especially with how good NFL kickers are today. And so when you're making them more dink and dunk the whole way down the field, then that's going to take some of this away as well. And so I think that what we talked about last week with the way defenses were changing and kind of the change in offenses, that meshes very well with this idea of looking at how are how are these teams doing per drive? And it's not really surprising, I think, to see those numbers go down. What about some specific teams? As you looked at this, uh, these per drive numbers, what, what were, who are some specific teams that really stood out to you? Yeah, uh, we can get into some teams. I mean, just from a top-down stance, just so people kind of have like a gauge on this and like sure. some of the importance, uh, you know, since 2010, and I use 2010 instead of 10 years because, uh, you know, I know my editor likes round numbers. Uh, so that is accurate. It, it just felt... I've, I've talked to him about it. I, I met him <laughs> once or twice and uh, he... Uh... He does prefer those nice, those nice even fives. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I did just back to 2010. It sounded clean, but you know, if you look back since that 2010 season, uh, 68% of the teams that were below average in in scoring rate per drive improved the following season. Uh, those teams improved with an average nine and a half offensive touchdowns per season. Like these are actionable stats that we can apply to looking at some of these teams. Uh, you know, 36% of those teams that were in the bottom half of the league and scoring rate per drive came back the following season were in the top half. 18% made a jump into the top 10 offenses. While you say 36%, 18%, like that's nothing that's getting me like all lathered up. But saying like on average, roughly six teams in the bottom half of the league uh, and almost three teams per year from the bottom half of the league are going to be top 10 teams. Uh, like that's pretty significant. Like, and you know, you can, it can get narrow down the bucket of teams that you're looking to either bet on, on futures or in fantasy teams to make like big time swings. And on the other end of things, 65% of the teams in the top half of the league have a decrease, you know, in scoring the following season and 18% of those teams, uh, drop down to bottom 10 teams in the, in the, uh, in the league as well. So it is some kind of like food for thought to I think about like that regression to the mean stuff. I think when you're looking at some of the individual teams, like the team that immediately stood out to me, like looking at just like when the, and, and we knew that like they were good last year, but like when you see like the data, like on paper, the lions, like just seeing the lions numbers last year, and it's like easy why they're like such a darling, right? When you look at it, they were third in the NFL in yards gained per drive. 
They were fourth in scoring rate per drive. They were fourth in touchdown rate per drive. They were third uh, with the best punt rate per drive. And they were second in turnover rate per drive. Like every single metric across the board, they were phenomenal. In. And like every team better than them or in their neighborhood, like made the playoffs last year. And granted, they had a shot to make the playoffs that, that last week of the season. Um, but it's really easy to see when you look at the Lions from a top-down stance, like why everyone's excited for him to like make another step forward because they were so good last year on a per-drive basis. Uh, and unfortunately, their defense was equally as bad, and it's probably what dragged them down. Yeah, and I mean, you can see why Ben Johnson was in head coaching searches as well because their offense was that good. There's a lot of great stuff in the Lions chapter of Warren Sharp's uh, 2023 football preview on sale now, go and check it out, that um, talking about how the offense not only was good, was adaptable and changed and tried to get better as the season went on. And that was actually the story of the entire Lions season. We talk about how bad the defense was, but the defense wasn't so bad down the stretch. And that's why they started winning a lot of a lot of games. It's another reason why they're a darling this year. And so, yeah, I think that they were they were a team. Another team that kind of stood out to me, and they stood out to me throughout the entirety of everything we're talking about, but they really stood out on a per drive basis was the Denver Broncos who obviously <laughs> coming into, I think I started the Denver Broncos team preview by saying they couldn't pass, they couldn't run, they couldn't pass block and they couldn't avoid turnovers and sacks. But other than that, they did fine. That is essentially the story of the Broncos season last year. And when you look at not only this, but we're looking at, um, when we start talking about expected touchdowns here in a bit, we start talking about red zone success, both getting to it and scoring, all of their numbers were so low. And you've already oh, yeah. brought up the regression, you know, arguments for just blanket. I'm going to look at this team that finished 31st in the league in scoring rate per drive. And I'm going to assume there's going to be some regression because that's what generally happens for these teams. Even without that just blanket, you know, blind team look at this team then you go oh yeah they also have sean payton oh yeah once nathaniel hackett was gone we saw russell wilson play a little bit better down the stretch and there are so many markers for this team doing well and i don't think adp really reflects that it especially doesn't reflect that for russ it kind of does for jerry judy a little bit i'm even though yeah, he's i the only think one portland sutton's probably is who he is like is it worth taking a bet on him? I'm but that's fine where he's at now. He's he's correct. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I'm big time into Javante Williams. Javante Williams, I've he has so much more upside than the people going in front of him in drafts. And uh, the downside is there. The downside's there for every running back drafted after like 12. And so I think that, you know, that whole team, especially looking at these numbers and looking at the series, that team sticks out as somebody as a team that if it doesn't hit, it's fine. None of them cost very much except for Judy. But if it does hit, then you're looking at you're looking at, you know, a really good stack that could differentiate you and put you in good spots, especially in best ball tournaments. Yeah, the Broncos, they were just in every single one of these write ups, man. Just just what a just it's rough just factory of sadness. The offense was, I mean. They were 31st in scoring rate per drive, 30th in touchdown rate per drive. They punted on 49.7% of drives that didn't end in kneel downs. That was the highest rate since the 2018 uh, Josh Rosen-led uh, Arizona Cardinals. Uh, that's how bad they were. With like a guy that they, they traded like a farm for, right? Like, you know, what Russell Wilson. Uh, no team reached the red zone at a lower rate per drive last season than the Broncos. Uh, it was the lowest rate again since the 2018 Josh Rosen-led Cardinals. So that's like the company that they were keeping. 
the Broncos are really interesting to me in the context of this conversation that we've had the last two weeks because of the Russell Wilson factor, right? You add a guy like Sean Payton. Now, is Sean Payton going to be the, the coach that finally gets through to Russell Wilson and gets him to adapt That's to the, the modern NFL, yep. right? Like, because Russell Wilson, we've, we've talked about the, the let him cook narrative for so many years. And no matter whether it's Daryl Bevel, Brian Schottenheimer, Shane Waldron, Nathaniel Hackett, like every Russell Wilson offense ends up falling into looking like the Russell Wilson offense because of his play style and the way teams are playing defense in the NFL, it's way more set up for like the Sean Payton offense to have success than the Russell Wilson offense. So is he going to be able to adapt and stop being like that big game hunter? You know, Russ wants to throw the ball down the field outside the numbers. He wants to extend plays and make big plays. And the NFL is not really built around that right now in the current defensive meta. So does Russ acquiesce some of his game this year? Do we finally see that change? Because, I mean, we can easily throw Nathaniel Hackett under the bus, but like a lot of that stuff from last year was still Russell Wilson just being Russell Wilson against defenses that are structurally more better designed to stop that style of football. Yeah, and I, I make a lot of fun of Cortland Sutton and his relative inefficiency he's had in the league. And it wasn't just last year, so this is not to absolve him of, of any of that. But I do remember last year Russ just throwing prayer balls up the sideline at him. And I don't really know what he's supposed to do with those. And to your point, that was one of my main concerns. Are we going to see are we going to see Jerry Judy get peppered with targets in the shorter areas and across the middle of the field from Russ when I don't know if that's exactly what he's interested in doing? Can is Sean Payton the coach to come in? Was last year so bad for for Russ that he thinks, okay, this is something that you know, needs to change. I'm not sure. You know, I, I'm not going to make any judgments. We don't have those answers. I, I hope we get fewer exactly. subway commercials. I know that. <laughs> yeah, I wonder I wonder if he still has a bunch in the bank, like that weird Baker Mayfield year, whenever he wasn't starting anymore, but he was still on He was still on every commercial break. The progressive commercials, yeah. Rust. Yeah, I wonder if we're going to get a lot of Russ commercials. Uh, and we're back, and the, the uh, Broncos have scored zero points in three quarters. Russ, how do you feel about Subway? Like what Those, those dangerous Subway commercials, those were, whew, I don't know how those got greenlit, man. <laughs> it was, it was uh, yeah, it was not ideal. But kind of moving on, the second part of your series was an interesting look at a touchdown a dispersal. And so what we're looking at is, you know, Play, teams score points. How are they scoring those points? Are they getting in the end zone? Are they settling for field goals? So what what was the kind of your big takeaway as you looked at at that part of 2022? Yeah, because I always look at this kind of stuff too. Because you might have you might be a team that actually is is has a solid scoring rate per drive, but you are also bad at scoring touchdowns per drive. And even in a a, a year where the league was really bad uh, from a top down stance, we still had. Uh, you know, four teams, the Eagles, Chiefs, Lions, and Bengals all have over two-thirds of their scoring plays be touchdowns. Uh, and that's significant because since 2010, there have been 34 other teams uh, to convert over 70% of their scoring plays be touchdowns. The Eagles and Chiefs were over there. The Lions are at 68%. The Bengals are at 67%. Just seven of those 34 teams matched their touchdown totals from uh, the following season. They had an average decrease of 107 
uh, offensive scores per year, which is pretty significant when you're talking about those teams. Like, and this is where like people get like caught up in the weeds of regression because they they hear the word regression. It's like, oh wow, we've got to like really be scared of that then, right? But you, in the context of the league, you can still be a good offense and have regression. Like the Chiefs have consistently done this, right? Like the Chiefs have had multiple years where they have offensive regression and they're still one of the better offenses in the NFL. It's not a complete boogeyman, but like we should expect the Eagles and Chiefs to score fewer touchdowns than they scored a year ago just by base base averages, right? Like betting the base base rate. And in the other direction, you we had six teams. Patriots, Texans, Jets, Ravens, Steelers, and Colts, uh, they all had over 50% of their plays come via field goals, uh, their scoring plays. Uh, and since 2010, there's been 52 other teams in that bucket. 78.8% uh, of those teams, 41 of them, have scored more touchdowns the following season with an average increase of 11.7 touchdowns per season. Now, some of those teams, wow. like the like the Ravens and, and – uh, um, the Jets, like you, you look at the Ravens and all the changes they made, the Jets getting in Rodgers, like it's easy to make a case for those, but like you look at the ADPs of some of these teams or even the betting markets for some of these teams, like the Patriots, the Texans, the Steelers, the Colts, like there's, a, there's an advantageous squeeze there just betting the base rate on like the improvement, uh, of these teams when inherently, like we probably look at those teams from a top down stance and like, yeah, they're probably not gonna be that good again this year. Uh, maybe the Steelers make a better case for, but, uh, there is some value in uh, looking at some of that stuff and, uh, the base rates. And I, I want to kind of keep that in mind, the numbers from Rich there about the Eagles and Colts, because I want to talk about them more in a second. But this really goes back to learning the lesson of the Seahawks last year. And the Seahawks situation was different. And I know you've talked about the Bucks situation being similar to the Seahawks from last year. But I, I'm more talking about it like everybody was certain at this time last year that the Seahawks were going to be bad. And oftentimes when we're certain a team is going to be bad or offense is going to be bad, they are actually going to be bad. And if you're just a a person that plays in one or two fantasy leagues, then it makes sense to avoid those teams because you're not getting a lot of bites at the apple, right? But if you are the kind of person that volume drafts, those are the teams you have to target. I'm specifically very interested in a lot of the Texans passing game. I like CJ Stroud a lot. I think he should have been the number one overall pick. I think he's going to come in and be pretty successful right out of the gate. And if you're playing volume best ball, you can get CJ Stroud and Nico Collins and John Mechie and Dalton Schultz where you can get them in drafts. That makes a lot of sense. And if you're looking just again at this base rate, as you put it, regression numbers, they're going to show up in a lot of those things. And again, they have an argument even without that base rate regression of getting better because the coaching staff uh, we think has improved. We know it has on defense. We'll see what happens on offense. We, they bring in a quarterback that should probably be better than Davis Mills. Again, we think that we don't know that, but we're looking at a situation that is probably going to be better. And, and when you add in this, this just basic, again, base rate re regression, then it, it goes a little bit you know further into that and moving more into kind of that range. I remember we had a conversation uh, many years ago, Rich and I are old kids. That's the takeaway uh, from this. But we had a conversation uh, many years ago talking about projecting touchdowns. Back when I was still doing projections, you were doing projections as well. And projecting touchdowns had always been my most difficult thing. Like I was very, I, it was something I really struggled with. I relied a lot on Vegas lines and things like that to try to to try to make it work. And you brought up the idea of connecting yardage to touchdowns and using yardage as a proxy for expected mm -hmm. touchdowns. And I don't know why that had never occurred to me. Uh, it hadn't ever occurred to me. That's why you're better at this than I am. But 
it had just per never really occurred to me. And when you said it, it makes perfect sense. And you did an article this week about that. That is, I think, one of the most important pieces of fantasy football information you can take. There's a table in it where you can just look at um, expected touchdowns, who went over their expected rate, who went under it. And just looking at that table gives you so much insight on some situations that are probably undervalued and maybe some that are overvalued in fantasy drafts. And I, I find all of that information just fascinating. So what's some of the stuff, I guess, maybe some of the big takeaways you had from, from that article that you did? Yeah, yeah, I've always incorporated that. Um, so I mean, going back again to 2010, but you can go back out further and the numbers are still pretty much in lockstep with this. Uh, if you're looking just from like a correlation stance, 72% uh, of all NFL touchdowns basically can be explained by yardage gained. And I'm, it's not rocket science here. Teams that gain a lot of yards have a lot more scoring opportunities. Yeah. Uh, you yeah, know, it's, yeah. it's not exactly reinventing. It's rocket, it's rocket science to me. Like it never even occurred to me. <laughs> so it's rocket science to those, the duller of us in the community. Because we'll sure. talk about it in the red zone stuff, just like uh, actually putting yeah. the numbers to like the average NFL fan probably doesn't realize like how many touchdowns actually come in the red zone or like at the one yep. yard line and stuff but uh yeah so since since 2010 again using that as a litmus test uh 73 of teams that scored fewer touchdowns than their expected total based on the yards they had the year prior came back the following season and scored more offensive touchdowns on average those teams scored 10.2 more offensive touchdowns the next season uh and then of those uh 76 teams that have done that that have pr produced uh double-digit touchdowns more the following season. 60 of those 76 teams were on teams that were below expectations the year prior. Uh, so you look at teams like last year, and I had this article. I kind of relitigate these articles every year because they're fun for me to write, and it also just gives me more perspective on looking at some of the team stuff. Uh, you look at the Lions had 17 more touchdowns last year than the year before, the Jaguars, the Giants, and the Eagles. All of those teams went went up double digit touchdowns. All of those teams were in the back half of the league in 2021 uh, in expected touchdown rate performance uh, versus that. And on the other side of the coin, 72% of the teams that outproduce their expected touchdown total come back the following season and score fewer touchdowns with an average loss of 10 touchdowns per season among those teams. So it's always fun to kind of look at that stuff uh, and kind of go back because fantasy football, especially in football analysis in general, has such a way of like taking what we just saw or things we've seen and but just believing that's what happens again when we inherently know it's such a, a cluster every year right like it's it, it's so fluid um but we put so much stock in what happened last year and the performance and think of that just being the norm and it really highlights some of the situations you're like yeah this is where everything went wrong for this team or where they ran hot and they really ran pure and uh, i'm sure we'll talk about some of those teams Absolutely. And I, that's something I just, I try to harp on a lot. There's a couple years running and I'm not like bragging about this. I'm bringing this up for, I'm actually bringing this up to, uh, to criticize myself. There were a couple years running where I did very well in the fantasy pros, uh, rankings, uh, kind of game. And every year that it would come out and say, Hey, you did really well in this. I would be like, really? I thought that I had a terrible year. And I did, in fact, have a terrible year. It just turns out that predicting this game is very, very difficult. And that's why, especially if you're a volume drafter, you have to accept that your notions of what you think is going to happen, you can lean more into them. You can trust your gut and you can trust those players. But you have to go out of that. You have to draft people you never 
think you think, oh, this player, there's not a chance that this player is good. Uh, the only time I've ever been freezing cold take was about DeMarco Murray uh, in the year that he exploded. And I thought that he was going to be awful. And uh, I got cold taked and fair enough. It was a terrible cold take. I uh, accepted it. I, I think I retweeted it. And we're going to move on with our lives. That's all you can do. But that's all you can do. I, it was wrong. That's fine. But it's just another lesson in I should have drafted some of DeMarco Murray that year because if I'm that certain that he's going to be bad, I should have drafted some of some of him as well. So it's it's just accepting this idea that we're probably going to be wrong. And I think that I think that as long as you're approaching drafts that way, again, especially if you're a volume drafter, if you're just drafting one or two, you know, pick your favorite people. But you're a volume drafter. You have to ex expect that and really kind of build build on that. I, I mentioned before the Eagles and the Colts, and I wanted to talk about them in this section because they're on either ends of the spectrum. So let's talk a little bit about the Eagles first. The Eagles were, according to these kind of yardage calculations, the most over their expected touchdown total last year. They were 12.6 touchdowns over expected. And I have been uh, big on this team and going after this team because of a lot of the things that you've already talked about with their second half pass rates and the fact that they weren't pushed to throw the ball at all last year. But then you get numbers like this and numbers that are really throughout this entire series, and you start to get a little bit concerned. There are some there are some regression red flags for this team for sure, right? Yeah, I mean, we should inherently believe the Eagles are going to have offensive regression this year, right? Like, they played the easiest schedule in the NFL, uh, yeah. even though they're probably going to play more competitive games, especially the, when you look at the back half of their schedule this year, and they're going to get pushed a little more. But... It's the same thing we talk about the Chiefs. Doesn't mean you have to run and hide from the word regression, but like we should anticipate the Eagles to score fewer offensive touchdowns this year. That's just like I said, betting the base rate. Uh, but they can still be among the top league leaders in like touchdowns scored. We should just be cognizant of there. There's going to be some some pullback here. Uh, absolutely, the Chiefs are probably the greatest example to always like put like this into perspective because they had another hot year. Uh, where they were over double digits, over expected. Um, and the, the, so much of the Chiefs numbers kind of tie back to like the, they look a lot like the 2018 Chiefs, you know, Mahomes' first year, uh, and just how pure they ran in scoring touchdowns and scoring points. And the following season, the Chiefs were still 11th in, you know, scoring rate per drive, like, and they were uh, sixth in touchdowns scored, but they scored 20 fewer offensive touchdowns. That's a chunk of fantasy points. 20, 20 touchdowns is a large brick of fantasy points to just remove from the equation, even with them being good in context of the season uh so we should like i said the eagles are should be on that spectrum uh when you look at the other teams that join the eagles is the eagles chiefs cowboys and Bengals. three of those four teams we had just talked about in the previous section of regression with uh you know scoring touchdowns uh the touchdowns occupying a larger slice of the pie their scoring plays uh there have been 22 other teams since 2010 to outproduce their implied touchdown totals by double digits just four of those 22 teams came back the following year and matched their touchdown output again betting the base right probably going to score fewer touchdowns of the 18 teams of, of those 22 that did lose touchdowns they add an average loss of 15 uh touchdowns among those teams so yeah there probably is going to be a significant loss here where the eagles maybe they maybe they lose a touchdown per game right? Like there's a potential where, where that can happen. And they still are like in context, of the 2023 NFL season, one of the better offenses in the league, but they're probably just not the best offense in the league. And I think, and I, I don't know if you've ever actually talked about this on the podcast, but one of the reasons they're so interesting to me is because I, you're right. Like if we just apply base rate, we're going to see some regression here, but you've brought this up a lot. And I think it's interesting that if we look at the other end of the spectrum, they're probably going to have to be in more games. They're probably going to have to throw more. Mm -hmm. And so this might be a nice little 
intersection of, okay, well, this team is actually forced to play in the second half, which means that their expected touchdown rate might be even higher next year than it was this year. If they're producing more yards. If they're producing more yards. But they are going to score fewer touchdowns, but not as many fewer as you would expect them to score based on these numbers. And so I think there's an interesting path here for the Eagles to bridge that gap. And even if we're I mean, just going from 57 touchdowns to 45 is still a lot of touchdowns. Exactly. And if you <laughs> score 45 touchdowns, you're still pretty good. Right. And so like, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see that way. And I, I brought up the Colts earlier because I think the Colts are interesting from the other side of the coin and from the other perspective, they sc- scored, uh, they were 10.6 touchdowns under their expected rate, giving their yardage, which was the worst mark in the league. And so you're going to just, again, apply that base rate. You're going to think we're going to see more touchdowns from the Colts, but they have other factors working against them with their rookie quarterback. I know as you like to bring up very often, these rookie quarterbacks very often struggle. We don't even know if Anthony Richardson's going to start from week one. We might see Gardner Minshew, who struggled a little bit playing with that Eagles offense last year at the offense in Indianapolis. We're not going to expect to be as good, even though now Shane Steichen is over there. If Anthony Richardson comes in, you know, obviously Richardson has some well-documented concerns about his, how quickly he's going to be able to transition to the NFL game. And so it's just from that other side of the spectrum, it's interesting that while we would expect just very natural, I think as you wrote it, put it, they should fall out of the bed and be more efficient than they were last year. Why, while we expect that, the when you're looking at how much will we fall back, how much will we get back to that average, that could be mitigated some by what we think are probably going to be some real-life struggles by Anthony Richardson once he gets the starting job. Yeah, they should fall forward. And they were a team two years ago that really showed up in all the overachievement stuff. So again, we talked about like regression's not supposed to work this way, where it just goes from one pendulum to the other. Uh, the Bucks were another team like that. Because if you look at this article a year ago, the Bucks were number one in touchdown scored over expected. And then they went to 30th last year. Uh, it's not supposed to work like that. It should be more of like please, even keel. Please but... don't do that, Eagles. Please <laughs> yes, don't do yeah, that, Eagles. That, that will cost me a lot of money. I'd rather you did <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. Please don't. But yeah, the Colts are one of these teams. They just show up in all these articles. They had such a miserable year, and everyone knows that. But uh, they scored twenty fewer, twenty four fewer offensive touchdowns than they did a year ago. They led the NFL in turnovers per drive. Uh, they were the only team last season that needed over two hundred yards of offense per offensive touchdown. Uh, that's happened just 13 other times since 2010. 12 of those teams, uh, the 13 teams came back to score more touchdowns the following season. Uh, but again, that's another one too, where you look at like, yeah, they're going to be better, but how much better can they be? Especially cause I'm, I do harp on the rookie quarterback stuff a lot. Uh, it's very rare that we get good offenses from, from rookie quarterbacks that play big picture. So I am a little bit scared of that, but they should just be able to fall forward, right? Uh, I think when you look at kind of some of the other teams that are around them, you probably talk yourself into a little bit more like, you know, the Ravens are in that bucket, the Jaguars, uh, you know, the th- this was from a year ago, the Ravens, the Jaguars and Giants and the Jaguars and Giants were teams where people were like, ah, these teams probably are gonna be good. And they were some of the better values. And then when you look at them, not only did they have a huge swing on the pendulum, but when you look at their expected touchdowns in context of year ago, not only did they make a big jump, 
but they weren't outliers either. Like they were right on their expected touchdowns. So it gives you a lot more stability that, you know, the Jaguars and Giants are, are trending just positively as teams and as an organization that can have that we can have faith in. And there's going to be like this huge just, you know, bounce ping pong ball back and forth of like, well, they shoot, overshoot, undershoot, undershoot, overshoot uh, and all that. So uh, the Broncos are down there this year, the Jets, the Buccaneers again, because uh, they, yeah. they made that big they made that big swish back and forth and the Steelers again the Steelers are going to be a team that shows up regularly throughout the series um and like I'm bit down on like their offensive personnel but like the Steelers are a team to definitely like really show up in like this blind bet stuff that like you got to have some faith in it uh and go on that limb yeah I the Steelers are a team that I'm thinking we are undervaluing I still can't get on the Najee Harris train I just like we have two years now of this of him not being a particularly a high upside kind of fantasy running back, free Jalen War, uh, Warren. That's my new free Khalil Herbert. It will be free Jalen Warren. Uh, I've, I've transitioned to that that part of Twitter now. But the rest of the passing game, I think, is probably undervalued. You see Deontay Johnson fall a lot just based on the fact that he didn't score a touchdown last year, right? And that's just not going to happen again. That was such a – was just, you know, a Jacoby Myron uh, – if that's a if that's a way you say that kind of look at it, it's just not going to happen again. And you're right, like they're through all of this. They were 8.8 under their expected touchdown total based on the yardage we talked about. 50% of their scores came uh, during from field goals last season. They just they didn't score from outside the red zone at all. I think you have here that they averaged 6.8 yards on their touchdown in 2022 and no team ever the past 30 years has averaged fewer yards nope. of touchdown plays. And it when might go look, back further. I could only get 30 years worth of touchdown yardage data. So it might even yeah. go extend further. I don't know how far that one goes back. Yeah. And so when you look at all of those things, like it's pretty clear again, and we're just going to keep going back to this. And I like the way you put it. If, if you just apply base, base rate regression to this, Pittsburgh Steelers team, they're probably being a little bit undervalued. And then mm-hmm. you go, well, can Kitty Pickett get better? Is their offensive line better? It probably was a little bit uh, more maligned than it should have been last year. Is it? Is it a little bit better? Can they get more out of Pickens? Or Pickens is playing more of a, a complete role than what we saw out of him last year. And so you can apply these other factors to it and, and make a case really for the Steelers. The, there's one more team I want to talk about in this section because you had such a good stat on the Vikings. Um, and we've talked about, I mean, the Vikings were so far over their expected win total last year. And we've talked about just natural regression hitting this team they over and over. They should be a scary this, team, that, I think, for people. And not, and granted, you know, Justin yeah. Jefferson is who he is. He's shown us who he is. Yeah. But the rest of the Vikings, I think, are pretty could be pretty scary commodities. Well, I, this stat just floored me. I loved it. Minnesota averaged 146 and a half yards for offensive touchdowns in the first three quarters of games last season, but that was just 92.3 yards per touchdown in the fourth quarter, and they led the NFL with 19 touchdowns in the fourth quarter. They were they went from they went from a fine at best offense to the best offense of the league in the fourth quarter, and that just that was part of why we saw them pull out those wins. That's part of why their expected win total was so far was so far below their actual win total. It's why everybody points to them as a regression team. But just to put numbers to that fourth quarter explosion they were able to do is just really fascinating. Yeah, they should be real scary uh, from a from a, a big regression stance. And like 
people just don't take into context how unique their season was last year. Like their offensive line fell apart the back half of the year. The defense fell apart as the season progressed. Uh, And they've just played in like these unique game scripts. When you look at like all the Vikings, like routes run, like the the amount of routes run per player, like they're almost in the 700s, right? Like they're in like the plus 650 range. Like these guys are just out there. They had to just wing it in the second half of every game, the every fourth quarter. And they did these jailbreak scenarios, which is great for us for fantasy. But the stability of that is very fragile, right? To like just bank on that and say like, well, even when you look at it, you say, well, their defense is still going to be bad, right? And it doesn't look good, great on paper, but like to just expect them to play in the same game scripts that they did last year, like in that to be static, probably not something you want to be betting on uh very often and then i think also one of the things like this is is definitely one of the teams that could have like a Derek carr situation from last year right like where just at a point in the season they're done with Kirk cousins and they're not committed to him for any point in the future um and they just don't play him like right like for like maybe the final month of the year like that totally exists the range of outcomes for this team well absolutely and and obviously warren has a lot of great stuff about the vikings and kind of all of these kinds of ideas in his book. I just want to throw out a reminder again, we're running this Christmas in July um, giveaway. If you are a purchaser of the book, have already purchased the book, if you purchased the Sharp Football Draft Kit, both of those things get you entries into this Christmas in July giveaway in which we will be giving away 30 premium NFL packages worth over collectively $10,000. Make sure you go and do that. Buy the book. You will read a lot more about the Vikings and what a unique season they had last year. And you brought up the game script stuff. Just looking at, looking at, we can't expect them to pass that much moving forward. And that is a concern. You know, we say it's not a concern for Justin Jefferson because Justin Jefferson is perhaps the best receiver in the league, certainly one of the best receivers in the league. But it's kind of a concern for him. I'm a little bit concerned about Jordan Addison. I think KJ Osborne's probably being a little undervalued, but that's because we just think that Addison's going to be the wide receiver too. And so you, Hawkinson, I mean, Hawkinson was all volume and very little efficiency once he came over from the Lions. And so, yeah, looking at all of this stuff with with the Vikings, is it raises some, some concerns for sure. Well, the most recent article you published in the series was about red zone production. That actually published on Thursday. That one is free. So if you're interested in seeing kind of what Rich has been doing with all of these these articles, go and check that one out uh, on Red Zone Production at sharpfootballanalysis.com. That one is completely free. And I think the thing you talk about at the beginning of that article that's really important is you lay out the numbers. Because we can say the red zone is important. And whenever you talk about fantasy, you very often talk about red zone touches and inside the 10 touches. But it's really important to assign numbers to that. And you do a great job of saying, yeah, this is really important and, and this is why. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think like a lot of people always, you know, you you think like a lot of touchdowns like come near the the, the end zone, right? The closer you get, the the more touchdowns are scored. But I actually do lay out all the stuff from there, and I've done because I'll be doing the expected red zone point series for individual player stuff coming up next week. Uh, yeah, I mean, but you know, again, since 2010, using that round number for you, uh, 74.6 of all NFL touchdowns come in the red zone. And then if you take that subset of 70, basically three-fourths of NFL touchdowns come in the red zone, 72.9% of all red zone touchdowns are scored inside the 10-yard line. So basically three-fourths again, cut in, cut in there. And then 47% of all touchdowns are scored inside the five-yard line. But uh, 87% of all rushing touchdowns are scored inside the five-yard line, which it makes inherent sense, right? It's harder to run in, the football in 
from further the further you get out it's it, it's hard to have those long runs but it is nice to kind of put all that context and seeing all the numbers and i have a bunch more that kind of go and break that stuff down even further but literally you have to get close to the end zone especially in the current defensive meta to score touchdowns uh that that's kind of the name of the game there are some teams we'll get into that are good we're good at scoring and not needing the red zone last year the Steelers were not one of them as we talked about uh but looking at all that stuff's kind of fun because again we're going to get natural like inherent regression for teams that were bad at converting in the red zone uh teams that scored a lot of touchdowns we had some player movement stuff that mattered uh there's all kinds of fun stuff in that one we don't have to get super in depth on this one because it is free and we would encourage you to just go read it so for we'll sure but <laughs> i I did want to bring up kind of looking at those numbers. I, I guess the first time I got access to like full NFL play-by-play -play data and people started publishing that kind of data on, on the internet, I started looking at and making kind of an expected points model. I guess this was probably eight, seven, eight years ago, something like that. And when I when I did that, I, I knew how important it was. To, like, again, and this is your point, we need to apply numbers to it. I knew how important it was to be near the end zone. I knew how much more valuable a target in the end zone was than a target outside than a red zone carry was than a carry from the 30 yard line. But really when you start to apply numbers to it and see the expected touchdown value of a carry at the two versus a carry at the eight, you start to realize the, the importance of just being close to the end zone, especially for running backs and especially because yeah, you hear red zone carry. lumped in together yeah, and like a carry exactly. from the 18. And it's not the same. Is, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. No, and I think that that was, that was the beginning of a change in kind of my analysis. I used to think a lot about red zone, and then I stopped really caring about red zone. I started looking at other factors. Thankfully, now we have access to better information, and we can look at goal-to-go -go carries, which that's, that's certainly going to be a better look than red zone. We can look at targeted in the end zone, which is a good look for receivers, because if you're targeted in the end zone, all you got to do is make the catch. You don't have to break any tackles to get there and score. And so all you have to do is make the catch. I say that as if that's you know very easy. I would not catch uh, any out of a hundred passes, but all these NFL players have to do is make the catch to score to score the touchdown. So I think that like breaking down those numbers is really important and thinking about it in that way. And and your kind of charts in here, you do that really well. You go, all right, here's here's the whole red zone, but let's also look inside the ten. Let's also look inside the five, and let's kind of see see how that works. So when you're looking at that stuff. Any, any of the teams, I guess maybe some teams we haven't talked about that, that really stood out to you as as being outliers either way? Yeah, there's a couple teams. The Ravens, again, show up here. Uh, you know, even with Tyler Huntley, like, factored in his stretch, I mean, they were, they were still fifth in the NFL in rate of drives to reach the red zone. But once they got to the red zone, like, everything just died for them. Uh, they were 30th in converting red zone possessions into touchdowns. And then when you look at, from a top-down stance, they were eighth in the NFL in total plays run in the red zone, but just 37.5% of the red zone plays came inside the 10-yard line, which was 29th uh, in terms of rate of red zone plays in the NFL. So they had a ton of drives reach the red zone and then just immediately flatline. You're kicking Justin Tucker field goals. Um, obviously, so they're a team that, like, I've been high MVP on the Ravens. Justin Tucker. Thank yeah. you. MVP Justin Tucker. Uh, <laughs> scores more points than running backs Justin Tucker. Uh, that's, that's right. Uh, that's what we refer to it now. Uh, and then you look at just some of the conversion rate stuff, like, again, just looking from like betting the base rate. I mean, we had two teams convert over 70% of their red zone possessions into touchdowns, the Cowboys and the Chiefs. There have been just 14 other teams uh, since 2010 to convert uh, that type of arbitrary, you know, success. 
Every single one of those 14 teams had a lower rate the following season with an average decrease of 14.8%. Again, the Chiefs did that in 2018 and immediately had pullback and, and, and had less success in the red zone. They dropped down to 11th, which is still really good. But again, this is how you lose 20 touchdowns in a year-over-year span. Uh, or you run pure like they did probably a year ago. Um, no one's saying to like run and hide from the Chiefs that they're not going to be a bad offense, that they're going to be a bad offense now. But again, they're probably going to score fewer touchdowns next year than they did just this most recent season. Um, so there's a whole bunch of teams and breakdown in the table, but they're definitely looking at them. The, the Cowboys showing up in a few different uh, areas were, were interesting to me from a regression stance because uh, obviously a lot of people think of like Dak Prescott didn't really play that well last year uh, when he really did outside the turnovers. But they're a team that like I've been inherently kind of high on because they're got rid of two kind of sucky buses in their offense and Dalton Schultz and Ezekiel Elliott. And it's like, well, they're going to give more touches to – Brandon Cooks and Tony Pollard, it makes sense, right? Take it, take away these bad touches, give them to good players, and like I'm more excited about that. But what if their defense is like that stifling? Like what you know, they're they added they're like they could be good. What if they play slow? There's all these things. But so seeing the Cowboys kind of uh show up in a number of these areas where they look like a potential scoring regression team really kind of inherently is good for me to kind of pump the brakes a little bit because I was starting to get like really excited about the Cowboys. I you mentioned Dak Prescott. This is actually in my Cowboys uh, fantasy preview, which uh, is also free on the website as well. So go and go and check that out to see kind of what my fantasy previews look like. But I mentioned that even with all of those turnovers, and it was easily his worst worst turnover year of his career, he was still ninth in EPA per dropback. Like he was still a a good quarterback, an efficient quarterback, um, and a lot of that. He did have more, according to PFF, PFF does their turnover-worthy plays. He did have a higher turnover-worthy play rate than expected last year, but his expected interception total was nowhere near his actual interception total. And so you would expect the bounce back there. But then again, like you mentioned, we see we see these numbers. And, you know, there are coaches, like Arthur Smith comes to mind, that his teams always do well in the red zone. And it's happened long enough that we're going to, I, I think we can assume that that's not a fluke, right? That he does he does well in the red zone and his teams are going to do well in the red zone. Uh, I don't think you can say that about the Cowboys. And I especially don't think you could say that about the Cowboys now as we're transitioning to Mike McCarthy. Um, and I know you don't like to talk about coaches. We've had this discussion on the podcast before. But when you're looking at teams that have these regression markers, these regression red flags, and they change to a coach who I think is worse than the offensive coordinator from the year ago. That's just, it's not, it's not a great sign. And, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I've been, I've been drafting a lot of CD lamb. I think Brandon cooks is one of the more underdrafted uh, wide receivers in, in the league. You know, I'm fine with Tony Pollard where he is. I understand the arguments. I'm not super excited about it, but I get it. And yeah, looking at some of where they've shown up in the series has, has raised some concerns for me from that perspective, for sure. Can I tell you how refreshing it was to hear Mike McDaniel on the Jordan Rodriguez uh, Play Callers podcast basically shut down that play callers matter? Like, yes. just basically of course he would said, say that. Of course, I mean, he wants what, all the other he wants all the other NFL teams to just hire defensive coaches. That what is an what absolute gem. What an absolute gem of a man, Mike McDaniel is. Just and and you know he didn't he did he, he said didn't say it as flippantly as I just described it, but basically sure. said that like so many of these guys op- occupy like under so much hubris that they're making like the greatest play call ever. Uh, when he's like, I've called plenty of trash plays uh, that worked and plenty of great plays that failed. Uh, and it was just really refreshing to hear him say that. And he talked about the players, right? And he, he, cause I'm always a players 
first. Like a lot of these coaches take a lot of success and failures from personnel that they've had. Right. And you see this all the time when people talk about like target splits for an offensive coordinator. It's like, listen, the ball goes to the best players. Like if it, we can't remember for years, I was like, you got to get a Kyle Shanahan X receiver. It's like, well, that's the only good player that in offense. That's why you got so many targets. Uh, you can't draft a Kyle Shanahan tight end. Well, when they got George Kittle, guess what? They had a good player. He, he started catching the ball. Um, but to hear him just basically say, he's like, well, why'd you, why'd you do what you did last year? And he was like, well, our receivers are fast as shit. Like, yeah, man. <laughs> it's as easy as that. But so I, I'm going to push back on that, though. Like, it's not a coincidence that Kyle Shanahan has gotten the production that he has out of not just Jimmy Garoppolo, but C.J. Beathard and Nick Mullins and Brock Purdy. Like, to say that they, you know, flippantly don't matter, which I know is not what you're saying. No, but no. they very much do matter at the margins, which I think is true of pretty much every position in the league, is that there is a large group of, of coaches, quarterbacks, running backs, pick a position that are all very much the same and essentially yes. replacement level. And it doesn't really matter from that perspective. It does matter on the margins. It does matter for Kyle Shanahan. It does matter for Arthur Smith. And I think if you look at their numbers year over year, Mike McDaniel appears to be as part of that list. We'll see. Sean McVay is on that list. And I think it matters for the other side of that list as well. And so, you know, Nathaniel Hackett, we'll see what happens in New York this year. But Aaron Rodgers probably just the offensive coordinator. So I guess we'll be fine. But the, like, I do think that when you're talking about, do does any of this matter? For the vast majority, probably not. But on the margins, on the very edges of it, I think that it does. And that's where you have to look at going from Kellen Moore, who I think is pretty good. Maybe he is just part of that replacement level. I'm not sure. We'll find out a little bit this year to Mike McCarthy, who last time he was calling plays, it wasn't so great. And the, the comments we've seen this year uh, off of this offseason have been great. That's where we might, that's where it might matter a little more, but you know what? We'll find out. The good news is, is that none of us know anything. And that's the <laughs> takeaway that you need to have. <laughs> need to have from this entire show. I think Mike McDaniel would say the same thing. Yeah, exactly. None of us know anything. There you go. That's a that that's the that's the takeaway. Welcome to the Nihilist Fantasy Football Podcast, <laughs> where we where we tell you that nothing matters. Uh, eat and, Arby's. Uh, eventually, eat Arby's. Eventually, the sun will swallow the earth. We'll see. Hopefully, you're not there, right. Welcome, welcome to that podcast. All right, let's get out of here before I dive deep into Kant and we will uh we'll, we'll move on you know we talked a lot about the series this today um rich has been doing these series he's going to keep doing these series all the way through august they're all part of the fantasy football draft kit as we mentioned the red zone series that was released on thursday today if you're listening to this live is free go and check it out it is worth reading after you read it you're going to want to get the draft kit which by the way you can get the draft kit for just one dollar Thanks to our friends at Underdog. Just search Sharp Underdog. It's pop right up, show you the instructions. Go and do that. Get the draft kit. Enter to win the Christmas in July contest. You get 30. We're giving away 30 premium NFL packages. All of that available on sharpfootballanalysis.com. I won't be back next week, but Rich will be back next week talking about injuries with a very special guest. So stay tuned for that, and we will see you then.